Hi, I'm Frances Katzen and welcome to my podcast, The World of Real Estate. In this series, we will explore the world's largest asset class and how it plays out on a global scale. Well, I am really excited because I actually get to interview someone who I've known in the business for a long time. And without further ado, Ace Wanasupe, which I probably say it absolutely <laughs> incorrectly every time. No, it was good. It was good, friend. Oh, you're so nice. <laughs> um, you know, Ace, can you please introduce yourself to us? Yeah, my name is Ace Watanasupar, VP for Told Citizens you I Bank. <laughs> but me and Fran, we've been longtime friends, and um, I admire her so much. So I'm just happy to be here. Can you tell us what a, what does a mortgage broker do, and how are they relevant to real estate transactions? Oh, I mean, you know. If you're buying real estate, or if you're even in real estate, you know it's a it's a huge roller coaster, right? So basically, what a mortgage broker does is they really prepare you for you know what to what to expect. So. When it comes to financial literacy, we try to talk to our um, borrowers, clients, and just get them ready for the process, right? Because it could be very overbearing and a little bit intimidating, right? So just getting your credit um, score uh, ready to go. A lot of people don't know that they have credit blemishes, so we try to walk them through that you process. You mean that extra Victoria's Secret card that, that extra, you haven't paid? That's yeah, a delinquency. Or maybe that Porsche that you just there took out literally like 10 days right before. So, <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's so many so many nuances to the process. Right, so we're here just to kind of walk them through their credit, their income, their debts, and then just make sure that whatever they're buying, they're in good financial um, standing, so that they're not overextending themselves. Right, so we just want to make sure that before they meet with someone like yourself, friend, that's going to show them these beautiful homes that they're that they have a pre-approval and they're ready to go. You know, for us, it's it's better to give them straight exactly what their situation is than to have them go and you know look at property that they just can't afford, right? So we try to really walk them through, understand what their needs are mm-hmm. in the beginning, and then really just, you know, customize a package for them, you know? So I like what you're saying. <laughs> I think that at what point during the real estate search or buying process do I need to contact a mortgage broker? Ooh, I would say right away, Fran. You know, I, I get I get Do you get the last minute call? I get which the is last, to put the offer that's in exactly what it is, right? Isn't that so fun? they'll call. They'll call me, and they're, and they're probably within the twenty third hour of the transaction, where oh. the closing is probably two weeks. You know, probably two weeks out, and they're like, "Ace, we just got a declination from another bank. Can you work your miracle?" And you know, I always like to tell everyone, friend, and you know this. You t- you talk to your clients, and you're really good at this, by the way. You know, let us sit down with the client the minute you meet with them, right? Even if it's like mm-hmm. the first encounter, because sometimes it takes about three to four months to find that perfect home and it, it allows us enough time to kind of prep them, right? And whether it's down payment and they need more down payment, it gives us time to kind of get that gift or from mom and dad, mm-hmm. where that's always the best bank to go to, um, by the way. But, you know, just working on the credit score, sometimes, you know, we run their credit and it's a 680, we need a 720. It'll allow us some time to kind of work with credit bureaus to to um, increase the credit. How do you determine how much buyers can afford? Oh, so there's something called debt to income, which I don't want to bore our audience here, but it's really the ability to calculate your gross income, mm-hmm. and then you look at your overall total debt. So you're dividing your total debt 
by your total gross income. And debt includes, includes car, car payments, payments credit school. cards, um, school, any revolving debt that you have, right? Mm-hmm. So you're taking your overall debt divided by your overall income, and then you get a percentage. Usually the banks want to see you right around 43% or less. The ideal ratio would be 36%. Got it. So you can calculate that you know, while you're in the kitchen you know, making some dinner. <laughs> Just calculate your debt-to-income ratio. What is PMI? Ooh. Is that a dirty word? Yeah, it's a dirty, dirty word. No, but PMI is actually, it stands for private mortgage insurance. And in today's market, if you're putting anything less than 20% down, you know, the banks require you to get additional insurance called PMI, which is private mortgage insurance. Because I think people think if they're buying in a condo and it only requires 10% down, there's this huge confusion about what's... They think they only need to put 10% down, which is true, but then the bank will also require you to get PMI, which is an insurance on... The 20% in the event that you don't pay the mortgage and whatnot. You have an insurance company backing you up, right? But there are also other alternatives now where if clients wanted to take out an 80-10-10, which means that Hmm. you put 10% down, Mm -hmm. instead of paying the PMI, you can borrow another 10%, which is a home equity line of credit, and it's called a combo HELOC. So it's a 10% down, 10% HELOC, and then an 80% first mortgage. And what kind of rate... Does that now so the second, look like? right? Right now, with the Federal Reserve lowering rates, right, right. which is a huge plus for our for our audience today. Yep, um, you're looking at a short term rate of right around right around four percent. Wow, you know, not not that wow. bad, right? Not so bad. you're looking nope. at a really good what we call a combo HELOC loan, where you're, you're avoiding paying PMI. And you're still getting that um, protection. That protection. Mm-hmm. So smart. Mm-hmm. Um, off point. You were a point guard at UConn. Exactly. That's a good transition. Thank friend. you. I choreographed that one <laughs> yeah. a lot. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. That's a big deal. Yeah. So for our audience, you know, I'm five nine. <laughs> you know, I'm an Asian American, so I don't really fit that prototypical basketball That's why I player, love right? This. But I was a walk-on at UConn. Um, back in the day, we were actually um, the national championship. Um, Dude, you UConn must have Huskies. been unbelievable. Well, I was able to dunk, so that was actually um, my claim to fame uh, back then. But it was an amazing experience, Fran. You know, I, I mean, how how um, can I ask yeah. how you went in a transition from that passion mm-hmm. to being as passionate as you are running the head of Citizens Bank? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it runs in parallel, right? You know, just that sort of competitive edge mm-hmm. that you get as an athlete. I bring it every day at the banking industry, right? So. You know, for me, it's always, you know, how do we do better? How do we actually add more value for folks like yourself, Fran, when we're sitting down with a customer? And it's always constantly pushing yourself, you know, to mm-hmm. that limit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Coach Calhoun did for us as student athletes. You know, he wouldn't really, every, he would hold every single person on the team accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, I was probably the 13th guy off the bench as a walk-on, but he treated me just like, you know, pretty much Karan Butler, who is like an NBA all-star, right? So... Wow, it's good. that's really, really impressive. Oh, it was amazing. Now, back to the world of real estate and yeah. mortgages. Fun, um, fun. Yeah. <laughs> On a home that is X amount, yeah. what can a buyer expect to pay for a closing fee? I think that's also the additional <clears throat> friction cost that I think sometimes we don't factor in. Definitely. So a good rule of thumb is 4% if you really want to make it Ouch. as easy as possible, so right? 4% over and above the sale price and the closing cost. Exactly. Yeah, so let's say you're borrowing 500000 mm-hmm. 4% would be 20000 
thousand, right? Right. But really, what you really want to look for is the major, major fees are mortgage tax, mm-hmm. right? Which is literally right around one point eight five percent of your loan amount. Mm-hmm. Transfer tax, which is one point nine five percent of your loan amount, and then you have your title insurance, which is a title search, and then the bank origination fees, and if you're buying anything over a million, which is almost anything in NYC today, right? Yeah. You're paying that mansion. dreaded mansion tax. Yeah, yeah. and we've seen uh, as of July 1st, all of those friction costs have gone up, yes. up as high as 3.9% on yeah. the transfer. I mean, the mansion is yeah. shocking. That's a, that's a whole new, uh, a whole that's new another world. episode. When does it make sense to refinance? <clears throat> oh, I think it really depends on your situation, right? If you're looking to just refinance rate and term, which is just your mortgage as a standalone, you really need to have at least a 1% difference to really have the closing cost make sense, right? Because almost every single refinance comes along the refinance cost. So you want to make sure that you your rate is at least that much more different to, to really have a sense. savings, right? Mm-hmm. Now, some folks, you know, they, you can refinance to the same rate that you have, but you're trying to do a debt consolidation, right? Yeah. You're trying to pay off your credit cards where you're paying 13% rates and, Ooh. you know, car payments Ouch. at like 16% rates. So, How <laughs> does the volatile stock market impact purchase lending trends, in your Ooh, opinion? I think it, it definitely impacts uh, the trends, Tell right? me how. Especially with folks looking to um, put down a large down payment or buy all cash, you know, when the stock market is doing really, really well, like right now in today's marketplace, people are tending to leverage financing more because they don't want to pull out their money from the stock market, right? Very true. And, you know, right now with rates being at 2.75 on a someone arm, you know, there's that sort of cost opportunity that they Mm -hmm. can actually utilize their cash flow somewhere else Mm -hmm. and make more of a return is is so much more. So you're seeing a lot of affluent buyers, Mm -hmm. especially the affluent buyer in today's marketplace. I mean, three years ago, friend, nobody that was buying a $3 million apartment or home was looking at financing, right? Five million was all cash. All cash. Today, Literally at Citizens Bank, we just did a nine million dollar dollar deal. Um, we just did seven million dollar deal. So, yeah, the Uber wow. Uber wealthy they're tapping into, you know, high leverage financing and interesting. It's it's because the rates are so low. And are they locking in a ten year? Are they doing? They're locking in a ten year, seven year arm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very savvy. So a lot of them are taking interest only as well, and they're really just leveraging the market. Wow! Right, they're making money in the stock mm-hmm. market, diversifying, taking, sure. Taking lower Cheap leverage, yeah. yeah, smart. They didn't get rich being dumb. Exactly. Um, in a buyer's market like the one that we're in, mm-hmm. it's typical to see buyers trading up to create value or greater value. Meaning, in a market where prices have dipped five percent on average, it is more advantageous for the buyer to sell their home of a lesser value at 5% loss and purchase something more valuable at a 5% discount. Is this something you've noticed as well? Because I notice it as a broker. So, so that's key, right, Fran, yeah. what, you, what you just said. So many people, and, and we see a lot of different situations. So the, for the folks that understand that model right there, where you're trading for a less than less. you bought, mm-hmm. but, but you're the actually, upside the huge. upside is huge, right? Yeah. And you're buying. What most people fear is that they're selling, but they have a fear of going back in the that's market. Right. Right, that's so right. That's like the key. Thanks. And you know, they say you know when when there's a fire, everybody wants to run away. But in in business, it's really when there's a fire, you want to run into, into that it. fire, right? So it's it's just one of those things where it's a mindset. Yes. And if more people had that 100%. mindset of selling a little bit lower 
but, but then trading up upside. That's huge, right? Yep. So it's funny. I have a couple of very smart businessmen mm-hmm. who basically looked at twenty million dollar apartments and got thirty five percent off, yeah. not including closing costs. Definitely, they were happy to oh. take full advantage of that. I think, I think right now, Fran, you know, being in a buyer's market, if you're a buyer, I mean, the world is your oyster. It is the best time, and people yeah. just think I'm just being a broker saying it, but it really, <laughs> honestly, is. it really is. You should be buying against the, the crowd. Yes. Yeah. What are the, some of the biggest trends you're seeing, Ace, right now from borrowers and lenders? Oh, the biggest trends that we're seeing. Well, the number one trend that we're seeing now is that people are, are leveraging financing in a greater deal, meaning before folks would want to put as much down payment. So what you touched on a little while ago, a little that bit. the wealthier want to take out cheap leverage. And that's and what we're seeing all across the board, interesting. right? Which is, you know, if I can lend up to 95%, they want it. If I can lend up to 90%, they want it, wow. right? So before, gotcha. the ethos was, let me put as much down payment so my monthly mortgage payments are, are low. Mm-hmm. Now, because rates are so low, it's a different environment, right? Right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're seeing a lot. And really, our construction to perm product, we're seeing a lot where folks are actually buying at a discounted rate and they're fixing up their homes themselves. Wow. So what we do is we lend on the construction loan and we finance it into the program. Got it. So you don't have to pay out of pocket on your construction as well. So That's nice. That's we're very that a lot. savvy. Yeah. Um, we're hearing the word recession, which oh. I don't believe is the case, yeah. passed around a lot. A lot. A lot. Did we say a lot? A lot. Uh, GDP is up. Mm-hmm. Unemployment is at record lows. The market, although experiencing volatility, is high. Is high. Rates are low. We're coming into an election year, which can sometimes put a pause on things. But it seems to me like this is hinged to the global economy. Can you share your thoughts on what's to come? Yeah, I think you know you touched upon it, right, friend? When a lot of people use that word recession, I think you know. There's a shift in the marketplace, I like to say, not a recession, right? Um, 2008, 2009, we were in a recession. Mm -hmm. Today, if you look at what's going on locally here in the US, you touched upon it unemployment, all time low. Minimum wage earned income, all time high. You know, inflation rates at the 2% target already, cost of goods sold, Mm -hmm. really cheap, right? So, everything, if you look at the US economy, we're in a booming economy. And, you know, um, our president always talks about that, right? So look at the economy, look at the economy. Now, what we're not taking into account and why you know this word recession is glooming around us is we're a global economy today. We're Correct. intertwined with other countries, right? So the trade war issues that we have with China deal are flows. affecting deal mm-hmm. flows. Mm-hmm. You know, the ability for them to take out money from their countries and, and transfer it over to the U.S. and things of that nature. And, you know, like... What we're seeing here is, and the biggest difference that I want our listeners to to really understand is that during 2008 and 2009, the reason why we went into recession was because there were loans and and mortgages that were being given out and people were defaulting. Today, do you know what the default rate is, Fran? No. It's less than 1%. Get out of here. So we are in such a robust and healthy market that we're not going into recession because you know, our 
the financing that we that we've been given to our buyers and and sellers in, in the marketplace have been phenomenal. It's interesting that you say that because there is still an issue about wage growth. While we have job growth, yes, we don't yes. necessarily have wage growth, and there are people yeah. who are outlying, waiting to be able to enter. To enter. Are you seeing that as well, or no? Yeah, I mean, look, if you live in Silicon Valley and your company just IPO'd, you don't have that problem, right? <laughs> so in San Francisco, no. I believe there's Ugh. a couple thousand new millionaires um, being all the time. They all have the time. No vacancy. They have right no there. vacancy, right? Yeah. But if you're talking about the, you know, sort of middle class, you know, um, mm. blue collared mm-hmm. um, employee, mm-hmm. you're right. There's still that disparity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why so many people are renting right, mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I want our, our listeners to really understand is we do a lot of analysis at the bank where we do rent versus buy, right? So if you look at New York in particular and New York City for that matter, a one bedroom rental could go anywhere between 3500 to 4500 mm-hmm. in monthly rents. Mm-hmm. If you look look at getting financing mm-hmm. you know at a rate of 2.75 at a payment of 3500 you can borrow up to 1.25 million so a lot of our renters aren't educated enough to know that they're renting today but they could actually buy yeah that's a very very important part of what we used to do in our marketing exactly. to show you could for that you could for actually that, own you this you can actually own this and you actually own equity and that's something that you know I really want to take on the road in mm, 2020 I think because it's brilliant. So many people don't feel like they can afford, but they're paying it already. I know. Does that make sense, Fran? They're throwing it away. They're paying it already, right? They so are. the thirty five hundred, the forty five hundred, they're paying it for already. For rent. For rent. Instead of owning. And you're paying someone else's mortgage. That's right. right. So thank you. Well <laughs> said. While we're on the topic, lenders and insurers alike got a bum rap following the last recession. Remember that? Yeah. Sparked by the housing bubble. How have the lending practices changed since then? Where what are the hurdles? And what are the benefits to consumers? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, back then, if you just had a pulse, I think you got a mortgage, right? That's right. I want 0% financing. Exactly. What's your blood type? Okay, (laughs) you got it. Great, done. So blood type A, done. um, You can breathe great. Exactly. But now, you know, banks have really, really... Um, they've they've taken responsible lending, and you know sometimes you can even argue that they've taken it to to the extreme, right? Yes. But I think I think overall it's it's done good for the economy. Yes. Uh, you know today, if you don't have a good credit score, it's not always cash is king anymore. It's credit is king, right? So right. really, That's you know, so banks have been really focused <laughs> on people's credit, their credit history. Um, really, again, their cash reserves when we're looking to lend on somebody, it's not about how much they can borrow it's how much excess capital that they have mm-hmm. and you know we're looking we're looking at different ways to really help consumers not just be put in a product but a lot a lot a lot of the banks are actually looking at at different ways to really educate our consumers before they even go into a product right so there's so many different programs that banks are actually coming out with to help folks like doctors loans teachers programs. That's actually really important because I think they are some of the most um, 
meaningful yeah. component of our earning power. For sure. And they have the most difficulty they sometimes do. qualifying these residents who who spent exactly. years at you know these unbelievable uh, medical institutions yeah. and are trying to enter into the real estate market. Yeah. And it's just like and they're in their res- residency totally, for four years. Totally. But you know they'll be making and X amount right 100%. when they graduate. So as a heart surgeon for one of the top, you know, exactly. It's just ironic to me. So these doctors' programs, we take the, we take that into account. So how does that work? Yeah. So they'll, they'll take your f- sort of future value on your income, and then they'll qualify you as in different phases, right? And they'll allow you to put a lesser down payment. So there's different types of structures that they provide for. Impressed. Yeah. What advice do you have for first-time home buyers who aren't familiar with the loan process? How can they get better prepared? I think just you come know, to me, right? Go get a shot of tequila before, <laughs> before you start the process. No, but and look at that stack of paper we've got to wait through and paper, cry, right? grieve, so, and get on with it. Just be prepared to sign a lot of papers, right? You'll probably be at the closing table for a good. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I think the best advice setting that I can tell a first hometown buyer would be, you know, be educated on the different programs that you can qualify for because so many times a first hometown buyer will just come in and they say, just don't know. I want to. 30-year fixed rate because that's what their, <laughs> their neighbor or their parents <laughs> got. And I think, you know, there's so many different programs out there. Obviously, knowledge is power, right? So Completely. preparing yourself, sitting down with someone like yourself, Fran, that can walk them through not only on the real estate side, but on the financing side too, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, financial literacy is something that people need to really understand. And Well said. And remember, it's not... A, Buying a home, 100% will be emotional. But when it comes to buying property, it's numbers, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. you really need to separate the emotion from the numbers too because sometimes you want that property that's like $5 million and it's beautiful. (laughs) But you really need to assess your own situation and really make sure that you don't put yourself in a position where you're going to compromise, right? So, yeah. Um, I would like to ask a little bit, if I may, on your overall world, if I could go into that space for a moment. Anything is game here. Um, Well, I am really also very impressed that you're quite entrepreneurial. I am. You happen to run a couple of restaurants, pretty cool (laughs) bar restaurants. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came to play? I actually really love the fact that you are putting yourself into lots of different things to grow you. Definitely. So 10 years ago, my cousin tapped me on the shoulder and said, Ace, you know what? You know, I've been in the restaurant business, but I really need a partner that is really strong with numbers and finance and P&Ls and things of that nature. So, you know, he said, Ace, you know, you do you want to open up a karaoke? And Love we it. started with trying to open up a karaoke with the licensing agreements and all that for music. It just became way too much. So we ended up opening up a dessert dessert bar. So karaoke to dessert bar. I'm right? good. That's, That's good. That works. Sugar works. <laughs> but 10 years later, you know, and, and mind you not, struggles and challenges along the way. So we have 10 restaurants in 10 years. What? But we've closed four restaurants too, friend, right? So that journey that... And and one thing that I want to tell our I'm listeners, I'm floored. My mouth is on the floor. Everybody, <laughs> it's um, it's wow. it's one of those things where you learn as you go. You know, ten years later, I look back and we're franchising spots dessert bar. We have four locations in Manhattan. Holy, we God. created our own ice cream line called Scoop, which is now going into major supermarkets um, around the country. So, so you're going to be sitting on an island in Anguilla, right? But drinking a mai tai, going. I remember <laughs> when. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So you love 
loving it. I'm loving it. I, th- I think it's it's very similar to real estate where you meet so many different people from all walks of life. And wow. you know, it's pretty cool when sometimes you're walking on the street and they talk about your restaurant. You're like, oh, I've been to Obau or I've been to Spotsdale Bar, and you know, they had such an amazing time. So we're in the service business, right? And so sure. whether you're in real estate, finance, restaurant business, it's really about how do you actually, you know, provide that exceptional, memorable experience. And I think, you know, everything that I've that I've learned from the banking world, I've translated into the restaurant world. And everything that I'm learning in the restaurant world, I'm translating it into the banking world too. Well, so. I'm going to ask you the most politically incorrect question. Tell me. Which one do you like better? Oh, which one do I like better? I remember the big brothers listening. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, no. I mean, look, you know, in my blood has always been real estate. Yeah. You know, I always knew that I loved real estate. So um, I will, it's been 17 years in the real estate business. Wow. You know, I, I invest in real estate. I own property. Um, I love what I do with the bank. And, you know, it's it's just amazing the amount of people that I meet and, you know, folks like yourself, and makes makes it all worthwhile. I just want to say thank you very, very much for taking the time out of your very busy world to coming in today and joining me. It's been a pleasure as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the world of real estate. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date with my latest episodes. 